Hey, welcome to the first episode of Berlin Startup Radio. My name's Ed. I'm a product manager here at a tech company in Berlin. I'm really excited to get started with this project that I've been meaning to do for a long time. And um, I think it's something that hopefully uh, you guys can benefit from as, as well as me. I've got some really great people lined up to talk to and uh, I'm really excited to get them on the show and, and to expose their thoughts and their minds in a totally non-creepy way, of course. So, so Berlin is buzzing, right? There's a ton of tech companies doing some amazing things here and there are some really interesting people um, that are doing those things in amazing companies. And really my goal is to, to get those people and to, to pick their brains uh, and I want to do that in a way that's useful for, for as many people as possible. So uh, yeah, welcome to episode one. This is all about a company called Tabler and Tabler's a, a really interesting company. Um, so the, the co-founders are a couple of good friends of mine, uh, Marco and Will. They started the company a few months back uh, and they, they, what they're doing is solving the, the problem of uh, restaurant discovery and booking and trying to give a, a better experience to users uh, with everything from finding somewhere to eat in Berlin right through to being able to book a table um, super easily, perhaps without struggling with language problems or uh, having to you know, call up a restaurant and hope that they'll answer the phone because they're ridiculously busy. So give it a listen and I think you'll find that they both have a pretty interesting story and there's some, some nice things that, that come out of the conversation. So I have to just quickly apologize as well for the sound quality. Um, yeah, this is the first time we recorded this show and uh, let's say that we definitely learn a few things along the way. So I guarantee the next episode will be much more uh, pleasant for your ears. You can uh, find all the show notes as well from, from this episode on berlinstartupradio.com. Uh, you can also get in touch. Uh, really interested to hear what you think of the show or if you'd like to get involved at all, if you're doing something interesting here in Berlin, then then please draw me a message. Uh, so on Twitter, um, my username there is Mr. Ed. That's M-R underscore E-D. Or you can go to berlinstartupradio.com and uh, there's a way to contact me on the site there. So... Uh, yeah, this is episode one of Berlin Startup Radio, and I hope you enjoy it. Tabler, so um, yeah, we're in the offices of Tabler, which I've never been to before, and it's kind of cool. So yeah, um, Will and, and Marco are co-founders of Tabler, and yeah, I'm really pleased, guys, that you could actually get involved and uh, join me on, on the first outing of this, which hopefully there'll be a few more of, so hey. Hey. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you... It would be really great, like, let's just talk a bit about what you guys are doing here and, and what background you're coming from. Maybe can we, Marco, can we, can we first, start. Can we first open the beers? Ah, shit, yeah, okay. Sorry, I forgot. So we have some beers. I, I actually, I'm not able to open beers with a lighter, so... This is like... You haven't been in Berlin long enough. <laughs> this is like one of the... One of my failings as a Berliner. Um... So yeah, Marco, yeah. Um, where are you from and what do you do and, and why are you here? So yeah, I'm from Helsinki. Uh, I used to have a startup in Helsinki. I, uh, my background is uh, studied studied knowledge intensive business oh, in, in the university. Cheers. <laughs> uh, did some consulting first for some as an employee, then as an entrepreneur. Tried on, uh, entrepreneurship, found out that it's really hard to do a company. So, <laughs> so got back. So then you ended up doing another one. Yeah. Well, well. Uh, first, first there was the middle stage that actually brought me to Berlin, which was uh, uh, learning more about how to build products and as a product manager in fiber, where I was. Uh, I was planning on being there longer, but then this opportunity of doing Tabla together with William 
emerged. So, yeah. so I was there for about a year and started working on Tebla in, um, I think it was October last year. Yeah. First, first really part time getting to know William better and getting to know how we work together and, and, um, and yeah, in March, uh, we stepped up the game a little bit and, and already made a commitment of going really full time in June. And in June, we started full time mm. with Tabla. So why, why Berlin? I mean, there's a ton of places right now that are, that are really huge, uh, in terms of the startup world. And I mean, I'm asking you, but I, I know that I also made the same decision at some point. So like what actually made you come here? Was it just the specific job or? Was it the, the city as a whole? Well, I think it was a combination of both. Um, I Berlin wasn't the only city where I was looking for jobs. Um, I just like started Googling for product management openings and other interesting openings in uh, first in Helsinki. And I found the opportunities as pretty limited. So I extended the search and... Uh, Looked for some places in Silicon Valley, looked for some places in Berlin and um, also some some other cities like in London and so on. But I just was really amazed how much there was like interesting openings in Berlin. And um, and I always liked Berlin as even though I've never been here but <laughs> so like, you liked it but you never came. yeah i like you like the image of berlin. yeah i like the image and the <laughs> feeling of berlin and it's also pretty uh, or back then it was like pretty renowned to be a startup capital of europe or something like that so it got me interested enough to apply for a couple of jobs and 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 yeah i, I got really good yeah good feedback from those jobs and ended up taking taking one of them so Will, uh, you are definitely not from Helsinki. I don't know. I'm from uh, from Belgium. Um, I moved here about almost three years ago. Um, basically, I I did my studies in Belgium. I did the masters in um, in marketing, and uh, yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the startup scene, and uh, it was Berlin or London. But London being so expensive, uh, Berlin yeah. looked like a really nice choice, yeah. and um, like it was a very good choice. I'd never uh, doubted that choice. Okay. Um, so yeah, I started working at Team Europe. I um, did their business analysis and researching business ideas. And, and Team Europe is like an incubator, right? It's uh, it's a company builder. Like okay. they were at um, at the offspring of companies like Lieferheld. Mm-hmm. Um, or Delivery Hero, um, also Fiber is one of their portfolio companies. Yeah, that's true. I should probably know that given that I work there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So yeah, and then I also, I, I worked there for uh, around six months and then I was um, um, referred to uh, Fiber and there I worked into business analysis and also product management where I got to know uh, Marco. Mm. And um, yeah, then I... Um, from there, I started working on, on Tebla on the ID, and yeah, fast forward is where we are right now. Yeah, cool. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Tebla a bit, I think, in a sec. But it's also interesting to me there, like you also just kind of slide into a product role. It's it's kind of a very typical thing to do, and it's the same thing that I did. And I was you know working as a software engineer, but I just started to get involved in product stuff, and it wasn't it was never like a strict transition. Like okay we think you should move into products. And I guess it was a similar thing with you, Mark, right? Well, <clears throat> well actually, actually, for me, it was quite quite a um, conscious decision to move into product. Like, cause, like my background was that we were building a, building a product, building an app with a, in a startup without funding. We were working our asses off for almost one year without actually having any funding or salary so and we found out that um, even though we thought we or I thought like yeah of course you know how to build a product you mm-hmm. just like you know like specify the requirements and then you build it yeah uh, found out that it was like fairly hard and um, and um, yeah like then I just like figured out like where can I get better and in this like 
where can I uh, continue to develop my skills mm. as basically like as an entrepreneur in that stage where you're still building your minimum viable product like, yeah. and uh, still like before product market fit like how can you be better in getting into that stage yeah. but still have enough money to pay your rent mm. and for me like uh, I really like just like researched the field and found out like what is there in terms of like career wise where you could like what kind of position yeah. would I need to step, need to step into and, and there I found out that okay there exists something called product managers that basically do that. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting and I, I just wonder how many people out there are going through the same thing right now, um, kind of considering or at least discovering product as a role and I think people are probably a lot more aware of it but is there anything that you would say like if, if people were considering the same thing like that they should really do before they even consider coming into a product role. I know a lot of people have a technical background, but I mean, what do you guys think? If, if somebody says like, if you come fresh out of university and you're like, oh, I want to do product, is that even feasible? Or, or is it even feasible that you have like a product-related degree that you study? Well, well I think that, I, I think product management, like, I think it might be an end goal for someone to become a product manager, but it's also like a, like a transitional goal to something else. Like for me, it was a transitional goal in that sense that I, I wanted to become like really good um, early stage entrepreneur. But but if you would have product management as the end goal, then uh, then definitely I think. It's, it's good to have a technical background. Like, there's, there's also like a lot of different kind of product management roles out there. But many of them, like, if you know how to build the product, the actual product, it's like more or less like a prerequisite that you can, um, you can like specify the product that needs to be built. Sure. I mean, that's the thing. It's so wide as well, right? I guess you like will, you coming from a slightly different angle into product, but, it's, it's still relevant. Yeah, uh, like um, I was lucky that I could start a team Europe at doing more business model research. First, trying to understand how businesses work or online businesses work, and what is kind of like successful uh, or potentially successful ID or what isn't. Mm. And then the next step was kind of like learning how to build a business, um, and that's why I really wanted to go into product management. I have to say, working at Fiverr for me, it was really a challenge as it's mm. a very technical company. Yeah. Um, and they're like, in that company, the technical background is very, very important. Yeah. Um, but then in other companies, which is more, I would say, marketplace focused, it's more about talking to the users and getting, yeah. listening to the users, um, finding out what needs to be built and as well the technical background but it can be one or the other yeah. kind of thing. and and I think that's the thing like it's almost two different roles right if if you're focusing on building features and on the technical side uh, then then that's really one thing and you can be completely immersed in that and, and to be honest that's what I do right now um, I'm at Fiverr and you know it's thinking about the how and the what and less of the kind of uh, the business side of product but I guess you can have approached it from a slightly different direction. Though. It's product is such a big area. We have product marketing as well, yeah. um, for which you don't need to have such a big technical background, but yeah. you need to have a lot of marketing background. Um, sure. How to acquire users in a, in a very growth uh, hacking way, kind of. Mm. Um, yeah, but that's why it's, it's. I think that's why it's so great, right? I mean, there's there's so many problems to solve there. You have like growth hacking, which has almost become a role in itself now. Like I've seen a lot of, of startups out there hiring growth hackers. Uh, I don't know if there are people going around calling themselves growth hackers, but it's, no, it's, it's kind of a role, right? It's just like it's a technical marketeer, um, yeah, okay. growth hacker. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was like in one podcast I heard someone someone say that he doesn't like understand his growth hacker role at all like that's like what he's been doing as a like normal online marketing yeah. just like rebranded that role to something yeah. else I, I, part of me thinks that's all it is I mean so when I was back in London before I came into Berlin I, I actually ended up 
applying for like a growth hacker role. I, I didn't have a clue what it was. And, and they kind of, this, this startup kind of persuaded me to, to apply for this role. They said, oh yeah, you would enjoy it. And, and I had to go and obviously then the first thing I do is I go home and I Google like growth hacker. <laughs> and um, it, it's not, to me it's not clear. I think there's like a Wikipedia article on it or something. But. Or you go to growthhackers.com. Which is also like this. Uh, of course, yeah. yeah. Back to the initial question, I think, like, if I can think about my university courses, there's like a couple of courses I would definitely have benefited uh, if I would have taken them or taken more of them. That would be like more about just user centered design and that kind of like listening to users' need and, and just doing that on the field to develop like some products by asking customers feedback and, so, and then product development. Yeah. Is that where you feel like if, if you could, if there was like one gap in, in your education that would have helped you a lot more in products, would that be it, do you think? Um, is there one thing that you kind of, you reminded a lot of like, ah, oh, shit, I, I wish I had some something more here that I could really fall back on? Yeah, well, well if I would have gone straight from school probably yes but like of course like i compensated of some of those gaps with, yeah. with work experience yeah but definitely like in my list of the one course i didn't take but i would really have liked to have taken would have been like this practical course where you build a product in a team yeah. and you know you go from idea to the actual product so it's like a cross-functional team yeah team with uh, developers and, and business people and design people and you make the actual product yourself yeah. and we had like a course like this but I discovered it too yeah. late. But that, I mean I guess that's basically what you did but you did it without the, the secure surroundings of a university or something to do. Yeah. You, you have to do it out in the wild which I, I guess you could argue there's, there's more value to that and there's obviously more risk involved but maybe the overall experience is, is more valuable. Perhaps it's, it's, I think it's always like, um, like the more you're prepared for something, um, then I guess like the more prepared you are, then uh, like it's, um, if you still, this, then the less likely you are to decide something that really feels for you to be really hard because you're not prepared for it. But if you still do it, then obviously you will learn more from that. Than yeah. you would learn from yeah. from choosing the easy way. Yeah. Okay. I think the earlier you start, the better. Because uh, for building a company, it's not only one skill that you need to have. You need to have a lot of different skills. You need to know how how you can market your product, how you can design it, how yeah. to do the technical backend, um, how how to do all the operations as well. Um, so the early, earlier you start, the more skills you can learn on the field, the better. Yeah. But do you think there's such thing as too early? I mean, I don't think so. Just having fun, building some pet projects. Yeah. It's so uh, if we look at education, do you think that, that there's something there that we could do to get people doing that earlier? I mean, I certainly when I was growing up in school, we never thought about kind of business stuff or, or building a company or anything. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's too early then. I'm not sure. <clears throat> well, well, I think. If you look at the really successful entrepreneurs, like many of them started like crazy early and yeah. uh, like dropped out from school. Yeah. But I, what I see is that like a lot of my friends, for example, or people I know have um, pet projects and they're building something, but they, they just like always build it to the, to the um, degree where they are like in their comfort zone. And they never, you know, like really push it out there and follow follow through with the project. Yeah. So, so I think like if you would have the real skills to really bring a small project from beginning to the end early on in your life, even though it's a side project and you would still like do other things with your life as yeah. well, then you start like cum accumulating these these like experiences from beginning to end, yeah. which are really useful. Where, where I see like what is happening is that a lot of people have like a pet project and if you say that there is like steps from step number one to step number 100, yeah. they always like develop it to perhaps step 15, which yeah. is still in their comfort zone, but they never push it through. Yeah. So then they have like 
20 different projects which are all in step 15 or something Dude, like that. You're just describing my childhood. <laughs> well, at least my, my teenagers. I think everybody has pet projects or at least the kind of people that would end up going into, into this industry, they grow up having pet projects, like even from a really young age. But I think what's missing there, what was maybe missing for me is that I was never really encouraged to like follow through to that 100%. So, you know, whatever I was doing, be it like building an internet community forum when I was at high school or like trying to, try, <laughs> trying to design Counter-Strike maps when I was like 15, I mean, all of that stuff can turn into like business opportunities, right? Um, and I guess the difference between the people that really end up going places and the people that don't is that uh, maybe they get a bit more of a push to, to follow through with it. I don't know. Yeah, or, or they're able to push themselves yeah. by yeah. being like goal oriented. Yeah. So, what was your first pet project, or what? What like? Do you have any like major projects while you're at school? Uh, <laughs> I, I personally had a lot of business plans made, but non-executed. So oh, that's really interesting. So you you were more on the like business plan side. Yeah, I was more like looking for the idea for what to work on. I was not on the technical side. Yeah. Um, but but never really went further than like thinking what could work, what couldn't work, um, and then. Come on, we need examples. Well, yeah. For <laughs> for example, um, like one idea was to build a um, kind of like a marketplace for for art which there are a couple of examples out there, but it would be like, uh, it was more a marketplace where art dealers could present their works um, or the ones that they want to show, they could uh, show. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, yeah, sellers could, could find the works from uh, art dealers and contact them over the net and could be ano- anonymously yeah. for, for like, um, yeah, security reasons and so on. Mm-hmm. It was one idea that I spent some, uh, some time on. Um, what was the point with that where you stopped so like was there like a recurring thing where you would always just tend to lose interest or just not push any further there was a combination of yeah, not having technical skills and then that was all that's, that's a really big step that a lot of people have they need to find they're saying okay I have this ID what's the next step I need to find a developer yeah. and that's where they kind of stop trying or stop doing anything yeah um I think that's the same for a lot of people, actually. Yeah. yeah. Th- those guys, without so much technical backing, they it really takes a lot more effort to push past that stage and find. You either have to find somebody who will work with you, or, or, or try and outsource it, or something. And then there's a huge hurdle to do that. Whereas, yeah, of course, if you can build something in your bedroom, it's it's much it's easier. easier. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so the, for me it was more like thinking about what to do and then at uh, Team Europe where I could, I jumped with both feet into the scene. Um, that was like the first step towards doing my own thing. Yeah. Then basically uh, that was really interesting. Like for me, my, my big push was with my, uh, when I applied at, at, at Sponsor Pay uh, back in the days, mm. uh, I had an, uh, like a talk with uh, Janis, the co-founder. Yeah. And uh, he asked me, okay, what's, what's your plan? Like, what do you want to do in two years? And I said to him, like, yeah, like in two years, I want to build my own company. But first, I want to get experience for two years. Okay. Um, and like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do more business analysis or product. Both were very interesting positions. But then he, he told me like, look, whatever you choose or whatever you want to do, yeah. it's not going to bring you closer to founding your own company. Yeah. And that was really how they call it hitting the, the nail on the yeah. yeah yeah I think it's a good point as as Marco opens the second beer so there's a reason why I bought four beers and there's three of us and now we're seeing the evidence of one of us yeah yeah I, I knew that this was for me but I got you some Kolsch have you have you had Kolsch before never tasted Kolsch no yeah, I'm going to give you my have you been to Cologne? There's a thing with uh, Kolsch, and I'm probably getting this really wrong now, but you have to drink it from this, this really small glass. If you go to Cologne, you have to have Kolsch to begin with, that's like step one. But secondly, if you, if you order it, they serve it in this really small glass. Um, mm. Yeah, my colleague was, was going on about it, so yeah. Uh, so what was your, come on, I need a, I need a pet project from pet my project. One that failed spectacularly. <laughs> Well, well, for me, with with pet projects and entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship in general, 
it was like when I was really young, I had some uh, some pet projects. Yeah, yeah, the younger, the younger, the better. I think. I mean, uh, I'm also trying to think of. And then, then later on, it's like I totally forgot about entrepreneurship until it like kind of immersed it itself later on in my life in the university. Mm. But but yeah, like my first pet project was probably um, with a couple of friends when I was in elementary school. We were yeah, like we had a little bit strange uh, family settings that we were basically allowed to write on the walls on our house. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. Is, so, that, is that like a Finnish thing or it's just a your family? I, I, I think it's more like we had a little bit weird family. <laughs> But anyway, we were we were like allowed to be really creative with writing whatever we want on the walls. Okay. Except for perhaps one specific room that had like new taperings. Okay, so it's not it's it's not every wall in the house. There were like limitations. There there was some limitations, but basically I would say like of of uh, something like seven eight rooms, like six were out for grabs. Okay. And anyway, so then when we were like in, I don't know, third grade or second grade or something like that, we were really young. Um, we were like with friends always like staying up in my room and we were just like coming up with this kind of like adventure games uh, by writing on the wall. So we, we had like this, this character who was going to these decision points, so we draw a line uh, and then we draw draw a circle there where you have to make a decision that do you go to the left path or to the right oh, path. Okay, okay, that's and, cool. and that like turned out to be this like huge maze of decisions and different things happen depending on what you choose. It's like those books. Did you ever yeah. read those books when you were a kid? Like the the adventure books. Yeah. Where it's like. I, and in fact, like I think we still have some of these in in my parents' house back home, and it's. You're like going on some adventure in the jungle, and then you reach you reach some clearing, and I'm totally making this up, but it's something like this. You reach some clearing in the jungle, and like, what do you do? Do you step forwards or do you turn away because it looks dangerous? And then yeah. if you step forwards, you go to page seventy-two. So it's like, okay, page seventy-two. Yeah, and you get there, and you're like, ah. Oh, Fuck you! You're in quicksand, and then you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, that was the same concept. I remember those books as well. But so this was the era before we had anything called computers. Yeah, and we were like writing these like really huge mazes on the wall with like like perhaps fifty decision trees, and they were really <laughs> funny adventures to take your friends through. And so it's like a text-based adventure, but on a wall. Yeah, but then the computers came and we started to thinking about like what can you do with a computer and, and we started like learning these like first computer languages like QBasic and we, we just wanted to have this like adventure as a computer program. So that's when we started, you know, like really coding the stuff to be like so that you can like uh, instead of like following a line on the on the wall, you can actually just like press a button and then you answer like yes or no or something like this, and then then you will have the next question, and then on the end of the game you will get like a result based on your selections. Okay. And we came up with all these different kind of ideas you could do with computers, like you could design these really funny context-specific games for for us, which like. Like where we have these people we know, or like we had a lot of ideas, yeah. um, but in the end, at some point, uh, it turned to be a little bit too hard to make these ideas a reality when yeah. you're like I don't know, twelve years old or ten years old or something. Yeah. But but I think that's part of the great thing about being really young is that you you you're not such a pessimist. You know, you have these crazy ideas about yeah. about things that, that you could achieve. And uh, you really don't see all of the barriers that would stop you from doing yeah. that. Actually, I think maybe maybe startups should take a, a leaf out of the book of like ten-year-olds and maybe like hire one of them or something. But just hire like a really yeah. young, uh, creative uh, kid to sit in the corner drawing pictures and dreaming about stuff, and, and maybe they can make something out of that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's definitely something into it that. A lot of the 
you know, inspirational startup videos or like become entrepreneur videos are are starting like remember when you were a kid and yeah. with stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, um, those projects didn't like we we made some games actually like that can kind of worked, but in the end, um, we just like computers became really uncool yeah. and I didn't want to be categorized to be like super nerdy so I think the best <laughs> the next like 10-15 years I was like doing cool stuff with the cool kids ah okay so you you like avoided the nerd uh, group just by by abandoning all your side projects that's interesting yeah anyway then um, later in university there's been a lot of like interesting business ideas and yeah. and at one point when you like have these ideas and you you're I was usually the one who was trying to push these my ideas forward and trying to get people you know to join me with them and do something without it okay. uh, with it and then you get really frustrated when like every time someone is like not willing to take the leap and they are like really interested in you know like planning those ideas and having these meetings but then when you really would need to work at least like 10 hours a week or something yeah. then they become like oh I don't have time for this Okay. And after like a lot of my ideas were got like um, kind of like rejected or somebody like uh, didn't want to continue with it, then I became really frustrated and and um, at, and then yeah, the first idea I really started building was one which wasn't my idea. It was like friends of mine who were um, applying for an accelerator in Helsinki, and they asked me to join them more or less. So okay. then I tried. And what was the product? Just, just really quickly, like what, what was it? It was, um, um, it was like a location-based social network for micro news. Okay. So wow. it's basically like, um, like a social network, like an app, where you can share information which is not personal, but basically can be useful to people who are like around you like okay. it can be like a traffic accident or like a special sale or or just uh, something kind of like micro news kind of yeah. you know, like photo based um, wow, social it's, it's, network there's, there's the a lot of different <laughs> uh, kind of things in there that uh, people are doing today right? I mean it's, it's pretty big yeah yeah it's uh, like it was back then as well and um, yeah there were like loads of kind of competition but Okay, let's talk about Tabler because I mean we're we're sitting here in your office and uh, I think you guys have spent the last months like going going crazy on on building a product and so so when I think of Tabler I would probably sum it up as restaurant discovery but maybe that's that's completely the wrong thing but I mean so maybe Will you can tell me like. Uh, first of all, how how did you come around to to the idea of of what you're doing, and and like what is the problem and the opportunity that you're resolving, and um, why why Tabla? Yeah. Um, so basically, the idea of Tabla uh, started when I went for for dinner at a place with a, with a friend and um, had to make a reservation, and calling the restaurant as a, as a non-German. Uh, was a little bit uh, frustrating in that sense that there was a lot of uh, background noise um, and making it pretty hard to communicate that I would just want to have a table. And that process was, I already knew about open table and book a table that those were, were out there. But I was just wondering why there are not more restaurants with this reservation system. Hmm. Um, and also re restaurant discovery itself um, there are a lot of great sites out there with a lot of great content. But the thing is that all this content is kind of scattered around the web and there's no one place that really gathers it nicely together. Uh, and so that's really uh, like when I was having dinner with, uh, with my friend and starting discussing this. Um, yeah, we started looking for solutions. How can we um, fix this kind of or... Um, then we started talking with, uh, with the restaurant owner and like s discussing our ideas and uh, he was the first guy who said like if you build this I won't pay you one euro per guest um, cool that's so, pretty that's a pretty nice validation of your idea yeah that's, that was like um, that was a very good first validation exactly um, and then uh, basically yeah we 
we start making a wireframes first, um, thinking about what we want to build, and um, then look for for uh, developer, and so on. Um, long story short, now we have Debla is really it's a platform for restaurant discovery, and also for reservations. Mm. Um, in that sense, that uh, for reservations. Um, we have kind of an automated concierge functionality when you make a reservation. We know how long in advance um, you have to make a reservation uh, or yeah, let us know for getting a table. Um, and then we can confirm your request in a few minutes, kind of. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think we'll, we'll pretty much nailed it, but just... Um, Come on, uh, we, well, need, we need a pitch from you, Marco. Now, like, I, I, I'm not gonna pitch, I'm more <laughs> gonna add to that, that that we're, compared to, let's say, Foursquare, which is crowdsourced and open, like, discovery, discovery service, we're trying to be better in that way that we're gonna be heavily curated, more like exclusive, and we're going to rely on the local knowledge of the local experts who basically recommend the be really the best places in the city. And in that way, we're going to be more like these like Michelin guides or Zagat, but just like covering every cuisine. And on the other hand, compared to the booking platforms like, like Book a Table or Open Table, if um, anyone has used their them for discovery, they have noticed that it will not work because like they have such a small percentage of the restaurants um, compared to them where we're really more on the restaurant discovery side mm. so and how we differ is like we really I, I think we have the discovery experience which ends in the in the in the moment when you find this restaurant and you're looking at that restaurant's page and then our booking experience starts so we have like basically two experiences we bring to one, which um, many people have thought, uh, myself also in the beginning was thinking that that's a bad thing of, you know, when everyone wants to just take one small thing and do it really well. Mm. But in terms of restaurant discovery, it's, uh, it's, I think it's pretty essential because like, like both of their experience are always consecutive. Like when, if you're looking for a dinner place, then the next thing you want to do is to either find out where it is or if you need to book a table, then book a table. So what we're now trying to do is to really combine these experiences. Like if you don't need to book a table, then we want to at least like give you all the information you need to, to say bookmark this place or to know how to get there or, or whatever it is. Um, and if you need to book a table, then we want to also like, like give the satisfaction to you about like just having one click and then you can mm. book your table. Yeah, basically there are around 5,000 restaurants in Berlin, I think. Yeah. And, you, and you guys are just launched in Berlin right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you don't want to see all the 5,000 restaurants. You just want to have mm. an overview of the, which, of the ones that are good. Does that include kebab places? The, the um, no. Okay, so it's probably like 10,000. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, we were really focused on, on restaurants where you can sit down um, okay. and, uh, but uh, yeah, there are 5,000 and you don't want to see them all and you also want to have more than 100 kind of. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of the sweet spot being curated, um, only listing the, the restaurants which are really good. But how, but how do you do that? I mean, there's obviously, like you said, there's a ton of places here. So how, how is this? going down the curation route, how do you do it in a way that's like maintainable and that you can really be sure that you're always showing the, the best places for you? Um, there's a lot of research that needs to be done for that and, and uh, for that we also use, um, of course, um, other um, platforms in that sense that we check how many reviews they have, if they're positive or negative. Mm. Um, but we also went to a lot of restaurants ourselves, um, like for validating our reservation system. <laughs> one Sounds month. like not such a bad job to do. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like for validating our reservation system, we, um, one month went for uh, 50 times for lunch or dinner. Okay. So that was like one month of four, four kilos 
five kilos extra. Uh, no way! You actually put on four or five kilos in a month. Oh yeah, just if you have to, if you have to go for dinner or lunch every day. Yeah, I uh, guess. I guess. But it's for research, right? So it's okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, there's a. To me, it seems like there are a ton of people in that space, and maybe not in the exact space that that you guys are in. So I'm I'm a huge user of of Foursquare. Um, which for me in, in Berlin seems to work really well on, on the discovery side. Um, maybe not so much on the booking side, although I just noticed like yesterday that there, there was like an open table booking button in Foursquare, which actually that's maybe new, I, I don't know. But Yeah, it's probably new, but I think Foursquare is going into the right direction in many ways and, mm. and um, like they're definitely going to be probably a serious competitor in the discovery space but still like one thing we can do like they're still like their whole uh, concept is enrooted in the crowdsource crowdsourcing the places and having the checking thing which is like not there anymore but it's yeah. still like since they split their app in half yeah yeah but what, what do you think of that I mean, like I, I think it's definitely the right thing to do Okay, but that's just because most people think it sucks. Yeah, well, at least that's that's the what I was. I, I didn't getting but like I wasn't like a heavy user of Foursquare before they split the app, mm. but uh, but I think it definitely makes sense because like they probably realize that they want to go away from the checking space and go to the discovery space. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean they must have had their reasons to split it. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I really like the the change that they did with the discovery. Uh, although I have to say it's much more location based what they do. They yeah. just show thirty restaurants around one point. Yeah. Um, and there's no pagination or something like that, even though that there are more. Um, yeah, and I, I would say there's also, of course, you have the filters. You can also filter on price and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not really a filter for occasion that you're looking for. Um, for location-based, when you're on the go, I think it's really great. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I guess that's not exactly what what you guys are doing, which is more based around the like the experience that the user wants to have. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think like our like differentiator for Foursquare is definitely being focused only on these use cases that involve you going to a restaurant, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, being heavily curated and heavily tapping into the local knowledge where Foursquare of course like I think it's slowly becoming a little bit that people want to you know climb up the rankings or get this expertise of certain places so they just whenever they go to a restaurant they write a tip that will get them a little bit more expertise in this thing no matter if people really like the tip or not so I, I think that's a risk when you start to reward users or introduce like a gamification type mechanic is that there are people that are, they want obviously to hack that and to, to be the best. So I, I think Foursquare are risking it actually in really reducing the quality of the, the content they have. Another big problem is that like, uh, suppose you have a restaurant and when they started, they, they weren't so great and they got a lot of bad reviews, but they, they bettered themselves and are actually a really good restaurant right now or the other way around. Um, they still have the positive or the negative reviews uh, and that, I mean, an image or the, the service from a restaurant can also change. If you have a new chef, the entire experience can, can change. Yeah. yeah, I think like one thing that might, you know, like summarize it is that we want to, like, you know, like, what do you trust more? Like, if you look at places and you see their four square rankings, or you ask your friend who's a local expert in Berlin, which one do you trust more? And we want to be basically the platform that allows this friend to share his knowledge about Berlin, which is kind of like validated and created, where Foursquare is more like this uh, algorithm that picks up some users yeah. and some tips and shows you that. Okay. And so, would you would you guys plan to like crowdsource that knowledge, or is this something that you would purely offer yourself? I mean, you say you're aggregating obviously other sources. Uh, I guess that's like food blogs and stuff like that. Yeah, like like uh, when you go to our. Um, uh, to our to the page of a restaurant on Tebla, you will see their Foursquare rankings, um, TripAdvisor rankings, 
and uh, Yelp rankings, and you will also see um, if any food blogs or magazines have written about this restaurant. So you can basically, for those who really want to do their research, they can really just like open up links in new tabs and look to all those things uh, from like one single source. And, and for those who just want to trust our review, which is basically a curated review based on these sources and our own knowledge, those can just decide based on that. Yeah, and that's like a first step that we're doing. Um, I mean, um, we might build also user reviews later, but that's really not not something we are thinking of right now. Okay, it's not yeah. a priority. Okay, but that's uh, one key to our approach, which is which is combining the discovery and the booking experiences that we can really like validate that this user has actually been to this restaurant, mm-hmm. um, and we can be almost like 100% sure that there aren't any fake reviews. Sure, yeah. No, it's interesting. Uh, I think one one thing about Berlin is that there's there's never a shortage of, of new places and actually there's never a shortage of people looking for new places as well. So it's I think it's a great place to, to, to build something for those people. Um, so you launch now in Berlin, do you... Like, is there a bigger plan here? Are you, you going to scale it um, beyond and... Like, when when would you start focusing on that? I, I think, like, scaling um, to other cities is still, like, fairly long way. Um, I think we really need to make our product work in Berlin first. But definitely, uh, we can't do, you know, the, all this creation and being the food experts. It's like... It might work in Berlin because we all live here and live here for a while, yeah. but obviously there will be limits to that. So we we haven't really uh, we have don't have a plan yet. But there's a lot of different options of having these ambassadors in different cities who will curate the content of that city and rewarding them in in an interesting way for them. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think like the key is to to really provide the expert recommendations by tapping into the local knowledge. Yeah, yeah, okay. And um, so, I mean, you mentioned guys like Foursquare, um, OpenTable, are they really your biggest competitors or are there other guys out there that are offering a similar experience to you? I, I think OpenTable is not really a competitor. Okay. Foursquare in one way, but... Yeah, exactly. We're, um, we're more focused on, on, on discovery, kind of. And okay, we do reservations, but we're not doing it with uh, the reservation management systems, which OpenTable is in. Yeah. Um, that since restaurants are paying 300 euros per month for a system for reservations, and we're not building those uh, um, yeah, devices. Okay. Kind of. so, so your barrier to entry for the restaurant side is much lower. Like The restaurants don't need to, to, to give you a ton of cash in order to, to integrate your system or... Exactly. I, I guess that's one of the major things that you're offering, right? Yeah. yeah. We're uh, offering lightweight solutions for restaurants. Yeah. Uh, ones that are where they don't have to really transition from being completely offline to being completely online, but where they have like a sweet spot in between where they can still, if they want to, they can still use their paper book. Um, it's all about the communication process, which is automated, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And that's pretty cool. I, I mean, that's something I've not seen so much and... For the restaurant industry, which I think is quite, in some ways, stuck in the past, I guess you have a lot of restaurants out there that they don't have kind of technical expertise or they they don't have like some community manager or website management stuff. They they maybe buy like an off-the-shelf solution for their, for their restaurant site, but um, they can't manage that. So I, I guess it's a real benefit for those guys. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of restaurants, they're... They're kind of satisfied with the way they're doing it right now, mm-hmm. and they don't have a have a big need for um, for these online devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's changing, though. I mean, the the process of, of, of as a, as a guest to having take up the phone, I call them. The restaurant is not reachable. Having to call them again. Um, yeah, it sucks. And, and there, exactly, there. I think there are people that are solving it. Or trying to solve it in different ways. Like I've had some restaurants where you can send an SMS or something, but but there's no like unified way to, to solve that. And 
actually it doesn't always work and that's where the local knowledge comes into play yeah. like even if we would handle all the reservations manually which we really don't do but even then like we know exactly how to reach this restaurant we know when the people are answering the phone which is not always the same thing when when they have their open hours and therefore we can really provide them a better experience like the best experience possible in getting their reservation done and uh, for a user i think like if especially if you're like let's say calling from abroad you have a language barrier and it's expensive to call to germany the line is shit and you don't even know when they pick up the phone yeah. just having you know like making this online reservation and getting good communication that hey we're handling it and you will we will let you know at this time when your reservation is confirmed i think that's already a huge improvement to the user experience even if if we're not able to provide instant confirmation for all our restaurants yeah yeah makes sense and and to take care of the whole experience is something that i think there's nearly nobody out there doing that so yeah sounds cool so um, yeah, we should probably wrap it up soon, but I just wanted to quickly talk about uh, things that, that you're, in terms of apps and software that you guys are using, what's hot right now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna start with you, Marco, and I'm gonna put you on the spot. Like, what are the, what are the top uh, or hot new apps that, that you're using right now that you would find, find yourself, or at least introducing something interesting that you haven't seen before? I mean, obviously, everybody has the standard, uh, the standard home screen with Facebook and Twitter and uh, whatever else, right? But I don't know what what. Okay, so like as a disclaimer, I'm really not like a super super early adapter. <laughs> yeah, he says this, and he brings out his uh, one phone with, which is like. I mean, that's going to be one of the most uh, early adopter kind of devices. Out well, there. well, yeah, like this is. Yeah, the phone itself is is really interesting. I do you like it? I mean, so you had this what one week now or two weeks maybe? A couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I I needed a new phone and somebody offered to me this uh, one plus phone, one plus one. Okay. And um, well, the value proposition was pretty good. Like it's like in all the like hardware and stuff that it has, it's like. Or like same quality as iPhone 6 pretty much mm. and then it's like apparently they really put a lot of effort in the design which I approve yeah and and so it looks nice and um, on on top of that it's like supporting a startup that's trying to make a change in a really stagnant yeah. industry yeah. and the price is like under double of iPhone, yeah. So, so that's yeah. like a really, that's like a paper book example of how to make a good value proposition, like beating your yeah. competitors on all the, all the different different categories. So yeah, like that's one thing I can hype. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, and yeah. um, the 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 fact that there are guys doing innovative innovative things in the hardware space is is kind of nice because I, I think it's. Lately, it's it's all really been about apps yeah. and software, and, and right now there's nothing crazy going on. But maybe there's a few things starting to emerge. You know, you have guys like Nest, who obviously were bought by Google, and they they have like a thermostat there, and I don't know other guys who are starting to produce uh, cool hardware products. That, yeah. Like hardware startups. Maybe that's the next kind of sexy thing is yeah. is hardware startups. I don't know. But but yeah, like. Um I know that we had a Finnish startup called Yolla. That was, Yolla. Yeah. Is that right? Yolla. No, you can't pronounce Yolla. Finnish. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, they were like ex Nokia guys who were like working with this pretty cool operating system, and they, they then when the Nokia was like planning on shutting down this operating system and moving to Microsoft, they kind of like uh, had had like their own spin-off thing. Mm and uh, went to build this new phone but that didn't convince me you know like every, that didn't seem like a real startup because it was like founded by all these guys with 
not startup experience, more like Nokia experience. Yeah. But this one seems to be like something truly a little bit different. Okay. But so, but yeah, other things. So uh, in the last two weeks since you had this thing, what have you installed something crazy that that, that you haven't seen before or anything new? I'm just looking through my home screen now. And, uh, yeah. Well, well. Apart from Uber, which is going going really crazy right now. In, yeah. In I installed Uber. I think I've been. A little bit like surprised that I've been using this app called Circa. Ah, the news app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's not really. It also exists on iOS. Yeah, it's but not really new, but yeah. But one thing I've been really like hype is is Slack. Like I, I really like <laughs> that one. Yeah. For me, uh, Evernote food got really uh, got quite yeah. Okay. I'm quite happy with it. Um, in that sense, uh, I started eating paleo. Mm. And you cannot eat anything anymore, kind of for lunch. Yeah. So uh, with the, the web clipper and then the Evernote food, you can make your own uh, recipe book, which is quite cool for quick paleo snacks and, and so on. Sure. It's um, interesting. That's it's also been around for a while, right? I think I looked at it once. Yeah. Um, is it more about tracking what what you're eating, or no, no, it's. Like um, they also have their own uh, like collection of recipes inside uh, in the app. And uh, first time when I used it, I was using these collections, which was a bit disappointing. But the cool thing is with the web clipper, you you search for for something to eat for paleo mm-hmm. and just clip it, store it, and it's uh, it, it cleans up all the the ads and all the information which is not relevant automatically. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a really clear, very clean. Uh, uh, document kind of yeah okay um, and then Freeletics is also one that I've uh, been using a little bit um, Freeletics yeah it's, I don't think I've ever heard of Freeletics it's uh, it's pretty popular at the moment it's kind of like this app for um, for free weight workouts um, ah okay I I was assuming that it was like an analytics app <laughs> uh, no no um, I mean those two are a little bit uh, more yeah like non work related. Yeah, I mean, but but I think anything. So, uh, did you see the new the new chat app from the Facebook guys? Like this, uh, wait, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Rooms, yeah. yeah. Did you try that? I haven't tried that. It's really interesting mechanic, actually. That I think it's I, I read the story about that. Yeah. Probably from the Circa app, which was <laughs> which was about like bringing this. Because I remember this from from the days in kind of elementary school, <laughs> when 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 there were these chat apps. Chat sites like yeah. like I don't know we had well some, you have the days of like IRC and things where where everybody would yeah, be that was actually invented in Finland. <laughs> oh, okay so but anyway uh, <laughs> anyway there was these uh, chat rooms you went online the web and then you could like just click on one room and there were other people chatting about stuff that was involved in that was like from the same topic. Mm. This was back in the day when not. You don't just go into a chat room and everybody's asking you for a picture of the boobs or something. No, it, it was pretty much the same stuff. <laughs> but well, when you were like sixteen, it was like pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so rooms for me, like I, I tried it this week. Um, they have a really nice onboarding thing, and they obviously put a ton of effort into the user experience. Um, oh. Okay. So there's somebody at the door, but let's continue. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, I mean, you should try it out, but I, I think there's a really interesting mechanic in that in order to join a room, yeah. you have to like take a screenshot of a, of a QR code, or you have to take a picture of a physical QR code. A so that's like the only way you can join a room. Uh, so basically, you can create a room, and you will then at that point generate a QR code and uh, give it to people that, that can also join. So it's, there's... I think it's like a mechanic in there that, that nobody's ever used before. Is it, is it called room or rooms? Uh, it's it's rooms, I think. Yeah, I can't find it, but it might be just for iOS. I think it's just iOS right now. But yeah, yeah, you should try it. It's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, but um, yeah, one cool application is also uh, Life Cake. Something I use quite often. Life Cake. Yeah, it's okay. um, a company in London. And yeah. it's kind of like when you're an expat, you're living somewhere else. Ah, okay. And you have your family um, or brother and, uh, that have children. Um, it's kind of like this photo book, which uh, like a very small um, own social yeah. platform 
for sharing uh, images and so on. So I just searched it and it says uh, Live Cake Baby Photo Timeline. Exactly, it's called Family and uh, so on. So it's a way, it's like a more personal way of keeping in touch with family when, when your family is distributed across the world. Exactly. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it seems interesting. I think, uh, well, I don't have so many babies in my family. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing, uh, pot. It's also one that I use quite often. Pot? Yeah, it's, uh, you know pot? No, it, it's like uh, it's kind of like Facebook, but it's for like for smaller uh, networks. Okay. And um, we kind of like me and my friends in in Belgium. We have Path. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> pronunciation thing. That's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I use Path a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I never I never got on with it because I can never persuade my friends to also join me in, in using it. But once you've got them so far, it's really cool because we have like I have around. 25 friends or something using it. Yeah. And all the images you don't want to have on Facebook, you just put, put them on pods. Okay. Like, uh, the more the, the words they are, the better they are for pods, kind yeah. of. Yeah. No, that sounds cool. I, I think those guys have been really working on the user experience of the app as well. They recently launched this, uh, is it called Path Chat, I think, where, where you can also, like, and I don't know if it's a separate app, I think it is, where you can hit some message like businesses. And actually there, there's some overlap here with, uh, I guess with like booking stuff. Like you could instant message uh, a restaurant and say, hey, do you have a table available? And this was, uh, it's a technology oh, yeah, that Path actually acquired themselves from another startup. But they, they're basically acting as a uh, middleman so that you can, the, the idea is you can instant message anything. Like any business, any kind of uh, institution or something. Uh, that's really interesting. But yeah, I, I still with Path. I don't know exactly what their main goal is. Like it, it's it's a nice app, and and I wish I could get my friends or my family using it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, the thing I like about it is you don't want to share everything on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. I, I wouldn't invite my family to Path. <laughs> <laughs> But do you invite your family to Facebook? Uh, I'm friends with them, yeah. Yeah? On a limited profile or full? I, I'm full. Ah, okay. Ah, that's interesting. But, um, <laughs> yeah, one interesting thing that probably would be a long discussion is this new social network where you, yeah. where you, where you kind of like they're almost going viral now, at least in my newsfeed where you can, you know, you invite your friends there and then um, 90% of all the revenue they make, they share it with their users. Mm. So it's like a huge pyramid scheme. Yeah, yeah. It's I only heard about it when you when you messaged it to me today, but uh, what's the name of it? Uh, it's called Sue. Sue, and how do you spell that? Uh, T-H and U, but the U is a little bit strange. But it has like an accent on the U. Yeah, some kind of strange accent. I, don't, I, I think it's just um, some design. Okay. <laughs> but, but I mean, I looked it up quickly and the, the idea there is that they share the, the revenue, like the advertising revenue between their users. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, so you sign up to Tzu or have me pronounce it. Yeah. They just start paying you or what? I, mean, I don't know. Like I signed up yesterday. <laughs> so you and, and I just uh, signed up just uh, to see what it, how their onboarding flow is and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I should check it out. But yeah, um, so we should probably wrap it up. I think we've we've rambled for quite a long time. But um, yeah, guys, it's been really really cool to talk about Tabler and and other stuff. Maybe uh, before you nearly smash your beer bottle on the floor. Um, so if, if people want to, to get started with Tevla or um, they, they want to use it and see what it's like, is that available right now? They can access it and start to make bookings or how do they do that? Sure. Um, they can go to um, just uh, com. It's like table with the in a uh, switched or they can <laughs> download the iOS app uh, as well. Or cool. finding and uh, finding restaurants and making reservations. Okay, Android soon or? Uh, it's uh, we're thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now it's focuses uh, really on the website and the iOS app. And as yeah. soon as we've got that, we're going for Android. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Well, yeah, uh, Marco and Will, thanks so much. And we I made it to the the, the end of the first 
uh, episode of this thing. So hopefully there's some valuable stuff in here and, and maybe there'll be another two at some point. So yeah, thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks. Just a reminder that you can get all of the notes from this episode on berlinstartupradio.com. Uh, feel free to go there. Feel free to leave a comment. And uh, you can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Ed. That's M-R underscore E-D. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.